that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to a post-game Buckeye Talk. Stephen means Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis after Ohio State's 37-17 to home win over Maryland to improve to 5-0. Maryland goes to 5-1 after this game. I'm just going to be honest with you. This was a tale of two halves, and I have absolutely no idea where to start because I feel like you can take multiple paths of how you want to talk about a 20-point win. You can nitpick it. You can talk about the bad. You can talk about the good. You can talk about the what it is. I guess let's start with the the news part because that's not really good or bad. It's just kind of this is what it is. Travion Henderson Nathan did not play on Saturday, and they also lost Emeka Buka in the second half. They got asked about both of those guys. What is the level of concern that both of those guys is or isn't long-term situations? Well, we know for Travion Henderson, I think there's more certainty there, right? Um, and we could tell what we were gathering pregame was that this was not going to be a long-term situation, but mostly from the fact that he's out on the field, he's stretching. He kind of he ran onto the field with the team before the start mm-hmm. of the game. Like he looked, I wouldn't say fine. Obviously, something must have been wrong, but there was no indication from the way that he acted before the game that this is going to be a long-term thing. In fact, Ryan Day said after the game he could have played. This was more of a precautionary thing. They were played it a little bit safe because of his injury situation last year. So I don't know if that means it directly relates to the left foot issue that he had last season that cost him the end of the year and necessitated surgery. If that is true, then it makes even more sense why they would hold him out and make sure that they weren't uh, losing him for the long term. It is surprising. It'll be interesting to talk to Trevion again eventually because he's usually pretty open about these things and find out when this happened because we didn't really have an indication that it was something that happened during the Notre Dame game, but perhaps it did, and perhaps it just worsened yeah, as as things do sometimes. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. saying, you know, he went back into the Notre Dame game but could barely move his ankle the next day, you know. So those that that is a common thing that, that happens with injuries. But regardless, it sounds like they expect Trevian Henderson. In fact, it doesn't sound like it. That Ryan Day said that he expects him to play against Purdue this coming week. For Emeka Buka, it's a little bit more uh, up in the air. Day said his early indications were that it is anything significant um, having to leave the game there in the fourth quarter. And it was funny because I thought at the end of that play, there's a lot going on when you're trying to cover a game. And at the end of that play, I was like, oh, that's a little awkward. It seemed like he got up pretty quickly. And then mm-hmm. I happened to look back up later and he makes it about two thirds of the way across the field. And then he's just down. So I didn't actually see the whole sequence that played out there. But um I also wonder if he could have come back in the game. Ohio State scored at the end of that drive, went up 10 points, and that was as close as it got the rest of the way. So I wonder if they would if he would have pushed it to play if he had to. Um, but as it played out, they got to hold him out the rest of that game. He was seen in a boot after the game, like just the, the usual. We've seen any number of players wearing one of those boots after a game, and a lot of them end up playing the next week. So we'll see if he's available against Purdue um, or if it's something that we just have to sort of monitor throughout the week but we'll we'll ask about it and we will keep an eye on it when we're out there on wednesday so that's the new stuff let's start positive actually you don't want to ever come in and start things negative let's start with the positive stuff we'll start with you andrew just most positive thing you took from ohio state's 37 to 17 win over maryland so this is a positive for me but it's a question for you guys 
there was at no point during the game, and I, I, I mean, looking through our texters, um, thank you all for texting during the game. Uh, we appreciate it. But I was kind of reading through that, reading through some Twitter stuff. There were a lot of people concerned. I was never, I never had a thought that Ohio State was going to lose. I, I like there there was never a point where it, it just looked so off the rails to me that I thought that they were going to lose like so I, I'm I want to start there and I'm curious with you guys just at it like did you guys also have that like was there a point today during the game where you were like oh Maryland might actually win I never thought Maryland was going to win no no not really when they scored the first offensive touchdown that with nine minutes left under eight fifty six left in the third quarter that tied the game, so Ohio State was mm-hmm. down with nine minutes left in the third quarter, and I, I feel what you're saying that I didn't feel like they were going to lose the game, but it was certainly a stage of things where they needed to they needed a correction that like really took control of the game because I did mm-hmm. feel like the longer that you let Maryland stick around, like we saw it last year. Like we saw last year in in College Park, and I thought people made too much of the fact that that game was in College Park, and this game was at Ohio Stadium, where Ohio State's like beating up on Maryland teams in the past, and it's like, well, okay, but but a lot of that team is back. It's the same quarterback, it's same, you know, the same coach, and well, obviously the same coach, but like it's there was a lot of that Maryland DNA that was back for this year, and a lot a team that knew that it had Ohio State on the ropes sort of last year had a chance last year didn't get it done and you know they had the ball in their hands with down six points with under a minute to play last year at home so I thought that if you gave Maryland that chance again there was just more and more chance that something could go wrong so they needed a correction and they finally came like but I felt like by the time this game got to the fourth quarter it seemed a lot more secure but at that point I mean they're down 17 to 10 you're creeping up on the halfway point of the third quarter there was certainly at least some acknowledgement that this could go uh, against Ohio State in a big way, and you're looking at a, a the kind of loss that completely jars a season because you lose to Penn State even at home in a couple of weeks. Right. There's still so many paths to, to a playoff, and as we saw last season, you're 11 and 0, and you lose to 11 and 0 Michigan on the road. There's still a path to the playoff. Uh, both cases, you need a lot of help. The amount of help you would need after losing to Maryland at home, even if though Maryland, I know, would be six and zero at that point, um, would be significant. You still got to go through both those other two games without a loss. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just it was it was precarious enough that it was. I, I definitely started thinking about, and it's why I think it's why we all kind of wrote about this game the way we did at the end of the game is because twenty point win set aside for a moment. There has to be a recognition here of the fact that this is the same Maryland team that was down 14 to nothing against two teams that came into today with a combined one win, and that was against an FCS team. Like, Virginia stinks and was ahead of Maryland 14 to nothing. Charlotte stinks and was ahead of Maryland 14 to nothing. So how is Ohio State going until nine minutes left in the third quarter without an offensive touchdown? How is Ohio State totaling four first downs and barely any plays in positive territory over its first five possessions. Like it, to me, the you might be right that maybe Maryland never really felt in our hearts. Like it was threatening to win this game, but it was, I was 
more reacting to the threat of maybe this Ohio State offense is just not solvable to a championship level. Like that thought has to start coming into your mind too. So that was the first positive about what happened in Ohio State. 37-17 win on Saturday. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, you know, I think that that in and of itself is a positive was that I, so I have a friend, a very close friend who went to the University of Maryland and he te- he was getting he was getting a little excited when it was 10 nothing and he texted me and I told him if Maryland scores here I think we've got something. And on the next play they had a pick six. So I think this kind of goes back to what we said immediately after the game in in some of our stand-ups on YouTube um Ohio State's defense for the second straight game makes the plays that it needs to make when it needs to make them. You know, I, I, you, you look at the Notre Dame game and when you need a play from JT Tumalo out, you get that play and he gets a tackle for loss, which puts them behind the chains. When you need a play for him to break up a screen pass, he does that. Like when you, when you need that to happen defensively, it, it happened for them. You know, when you need to knock Sam Hartman out of bounds, on that fourth and one play, you know, a reserve linebacker who doesn't really play a whole heck of a lot does that, you know, there were just those moments against, against Notre Dame. And I think you kind of saw that today where, you know, Ohio state, they, they almost really hurt themselves at the end of the first half today because, you know, they had uh, who's the, the roughing the passer call on, I think was it JT or Jack? I forget. I I forget. I'll, I'll have to look that up. Um, oh, Mike! I wasn't sure. If, was it Mike Hall? That right? Yeah. So it was Mike Hall. So they they have the they have the Mike Hall penalty, and Maryland's sitting at like the eighteen with twelve seconds left, and you're starting to think like, man, they go to the end zone here, like they they got a shot, like they have a shot to go up a touchdown, and they get the ball to start the second half, and Ohio State knew that. And they forced Maryland into a checkdown. I understand that that's not a throw that Talia should make, but Talia makes that throw because he has to, because there's nothing else available. Now, what he should have done was eat it or, you know, and throw it into the fifth row. But that's what Ohio State's defense did. They forced the checkdown and you force teams into mistakes. You force him into making a mistake where he throws a pick six. You force him into taking a checkdown where that ends the first half. You force him into throwing that interception in the third quarter, which kind of helped even further swing things. So, you know, the defense is still really good to the point where, you know, yeah, you can, you know, you can look at the talent level and it and it kind of is there. There are things to clean up on the defense. I thought that they didn't fit the run well at all. I thought Maryland actually ran the ball pretty effectively when they needed to. So, you know, there there are a lot of things that you could point to and say, oh, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? But the defense is good enough to make game-changing plays when it has to make them. So th- that's my number one positive, and, and that's the thing that I would be, you know, if I was an Ohio State fan, that, that's what I'd be leaning on right now is that this is a defense where you probably can win some games with this defense, right? You know, you, you probably can do some things, and I'm not talking win some games against, you know, Purdue or win some games against, you know, you can beat, I think, a Penn State and a Michigan with this type of defense. I, I, I really believe that. Now, you need the offense to come around with it, but the defense has proven enough in the first couple of weeks to me that when it comes time, they can make some plays. So, yeah, I totally forgot that Steven had asked his question 
before I answered Andrew's question. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was totally my bad. That was bad not podcasting. In I jumped Stephen's in with a question. question. Um, but I mean, you have to, we have to start, you know, Stephen, you asked the question earlier this week about at what point do you believe the defense is real and at what point do you believe the offense is a real concern? And I kind of think maybe both of those arrived today to some extent. Mm-hmm. And this defense, you know, it gives up the long touchdown drive to start the second half. And sometimes you give up touchdown drives to decent teams. Maryland's a decent team. They've got some guys. They came out and made plays for that one drive. They gave up, you know, a short field touchdown drive, and you would like to see a defense respond with its back against the wall. But they had to defend 30 yards after the botched punt. And and they gave up one field goal drive other than that. Like, again, like 17 points allowed off of, you know, 14 points allowed against Notre Dame. Like, they're just, this defense is not letting teams drive, and it is choking things off in the red zone for the most part. It is, as you're saying, Andrew, just making big plays. Like, I think it's definitely time, and I know that people were skeptical, and some people were, certainly. I was. You want to go as far as you can to see this, because we saw improvement last year, and it wasn't sustainable. Uh, especially against the best teams on the schedule. I think this is. I think this is a lot of those same guys have taken a step forward, and I think this defensive performance is real. And I think this defense is going to have to be real to give its offense a chance probably to win some of these games. And I don't think, though, that this offense can count on defensive touchdowns every week. You know, they they definitely took advantage of what Talia Tagovailoa is kind of at his essence. I feel like this is a lot of what you saw today was the player that he so long has been, um, you know, completed 50% of his passes through the two picks. Um, and I know there was talk after the game about, Oh, his escapability and stuff, but like, you're going to take that. He's not so effective as a runner that you're not going to take that passing performance right. eight days a week. So I thought this defense just, Again, like you had guys setting a physical tone. There was definitely some things that got lost in coverage today. Uh, you know, Denzel Berg had sort of challenged, hey, throw the ball at me. And then they did. And I thought they got some some gains there. But he also made some big plays. Obviously had the big hit that was part of kind of a tone setter. It, you're just seeing this defense make plays week after week after week. And it's not a a situation where, uh, Stephen, you brought up a great point after the game when we were talking about how just two years ago, this defense wasted a potentially great offense mm-hmm. by not knowing. And I, when I say the defense, I ultimately, I guess, mean the coaching staff, either the team that the people that recruited those players, um, developed those players and then made lineup decisions. But I think they, because of failures on those first two, they got to the third one and didn't know who was even supposed to be on the field. They certainly had questions about where guys were supposed to be lining up, what system they were even trying to play. You had to change defensive coordinators two games into the year. And then now look how far they've come now five games into Jim Knowles' second year. And there are definitely still things to be cleaned up, but there's just such a confidence right now in the, the baseline performance of this defense. And I definitely come out of a game like this saying, I think that Penn State and Michigan are both better offenses than Maryland, but I don't know if they're so much better that I think this defense is going to get like caught flat-footed, knocked on its heels, and and blow those games. I think this defense is up to the challenge on 
anybody that's left on this regular season schedule for sure. So where is the is the offense going to make this defense have to go win games, or is it going to find a way to solve some of its problems and get back to its the identity it's supposed to have, the identity it feels like it should have right now? Um, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that, though. I'm My concerns for the offense grow after a game like this. I think the best thing that's come out of this game, and it's a two-part thing, the second part I'll touch on when we start nitpicking, which I'm laughing at because we've already started the nitpicking here. <laughs> I wrote this after the game. Ohio State's offense has made it a habit to score 40-plus points under Ryan Day. In fact, since he's taken over, when we're just talking about the 12-game regular season schedule, they have not had more than three games per year where they've had less than 40. In 2019, it was a win over Michigan State. They scored 35. A win over Wisconsin, they scored 38. And then a win over Penn State, they scored 28. In 2020, it was against Penn State. They scored 38 in a game that controlled the entire way. They just kind of took their foot off the gas at the end of it, but they came out and jumped on them early. Against Northwestern, they had 22 in the Big Ten Championship game. Weird game. Against Alabama, they only scored 24, so that's the first loss on that list so far. And then 2021, the loss to Oregon, they only scored 28. Against Penn State, they scored 33. Against Nebraska, 26. And against Michigan, they scored 27. Last year, Notre Dame, they scored 21 against Northwestern. They scored 27 points against Northwestern somehow. And that, it was windy today against Maryland. It was crazy windy against Northwestern last year in that game in Chicago. And then Evanston, excuse me. And then against Michigan, 23. They've already done it four times this year. They hit it against Indiana, 23, Youngstown State, 35, Notre Dame, 17, and then 37 today against Maryland. So they're already way out there in terms of less than 40 points. But I think this time around, this is where the similarity to 2019 is. Ohio State's offense has not been able to put up 40 points. But Ohio State's defense has been so good that it might not have to every week. And that's the way the world they were living in in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, where if the offense wasn't scoring 40, you were nervous that they might lose the game. I think in 2019, in those big games, they don't score 40, but the defense is so good that it's okay. I think this year, the defense has spent the first five weeks showing us. It showed us in a big game, of course, against Notre Dame, but this offense doesn't have to be the elite, 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 elite version of itself that we've been seeing over the past couple of years. And if it's not, then they might lose the game. And I think that's the best progress you can say about where this defense is in comparison to the three years prior, where everything was about, all right, the offense is awesome, but if it's not awesome, they're going to lose. The offense doesn't have to be awesome, and this team can still win week in and week out because this defense is playing so well. And I I do want to add here, uh, you know, I know I we said that there are pro- and we will nitpick and there are problems that we can point to with the offense and we can say that there are issues. Their last seven drives of the game, starting from the four minute and 15 second mark of the second quarter, meaning four minutes, 15 seconds left, I should say, of the second quarter. Field goal, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, end of game. So... <laughs> like I, I understand, you know, the like now, and it, it's very much a, a tale of of kind of like you know, t- a tale of two halves, really. But you know, a tale of like a quarter plus, like all like just a little less than that, because their first five drives of the game uh, was the 
Do, we, I don't think we got an answer actually. Did, did Ryan said something about the punt? Was, was that at, was that a design? He said it wasn't punt? a fake punt. It was okay, not so a it was fake just punt. A, it was a, it was a bad snap. snap. Which, okay. when we get into the nitpicking, we can. I don't even think that would be nitpicking. This special teams man over yeah, the last eight a, games has been wow. But you. so you have you have the you have the bad snap on the punt, and then you go eight plays, twenty seven yards, punt. Four plays, minus fourteen yards, punt. Four plays, thirteen yards, punt. Five plays, twenty-four yards, punt, and then I and then I mentioned the touchdown drives and the field goal drives right after that. So it's like, you know, I, I understand the the concern and I understand the like, you know, the 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 frustration that that people are that people are probably feeling, and I and I do understand that. But there is also this kind of point where it's like, you know, they did turn it on a little bit. Like, you know, I, I mentioned this to you guys at the end of the game, like. Ohio State scored 30 offensive points today. You know, let's just pretend they won the game 30 to 17 because, you know, you can't rely on a defensive touchdown every week. I get that. But they scored 30 offensive points today and they basically flushed like a quarter and like three fifths down the down the toilet. Like they just completely, no pun intended, punted in a in the first quarter and then gave up the majority of the second quarter and then they woke up and were like okay well it, now let's turn it off you can't do that against Penn State you can't do that against Michigan you can't do that in a playoff game but like you the offense still has reached a point and the offense still is good enough when you play teams like Maryland and again we were talking about this off the podcast and and off everything right before we were getting on like is Maryland better than Wisconsin? Where does Maryland kind of rank in the Big Ten? Like, Maryland's a decent football team. They're a bowl team very clearly, very easily, very comfortably. So, like, against a team that's fairly decent, you know, it's not like they did this against a 2-10 and 10 Big Ten team. Against a team that's fairly decent, you can still sleepwalk through almost half a game and store 30 offensive points. So, there are things to fix, but the talent level is still such where they can get themselves out of a jam if they need to. Now, when we start to nitpick, I have some not so nice things to say about the offensive line. But again, this, the offense is still remarkably talented and they're still good enough to to kind of turn it on late and win you a game. Yeah, and when you're looking at positive things too, I mean, listen, Marvin Harrison Jr. with his bad ankle made some huge plays in this game. Like he looked really good like what does this guy look like we don't know we don't know what this guy really looks like with a completely healthy ankle except for the first few games this year where they had some games where they could barely even target him so that's there and uh I, you know McCord's performance was rough to start I mean I think it was like one of five to start the game and but from that point on he's 18 of 24 goes over 300 yards again like you know there were there were positives there I guess my quibble with that the that perspective it's like it's it's a it's a it's a coin and i don't know which side it i I could see taking either side of it because it's yes everything you just said yes they slept walk through two plus quarters and they still still scored 30 offensive points they were getting some help though like talia tagaloa made a couple mistakes now you're not including the one already in that equation where that was taken back for a, a touchdown um the sequence of stuff at the end of the first half, like Ohio State should have been down at halftime for the second straight year mm-hmm. against Maryland. They Maryland completely botched that last possession. Uh, yes, Ohio State's coverage forced him into that checkdown, but it really should have just forced him into throwing the ball out of bounds so they could take the three points. Again, 
that's sort of just that's where his he his head hits the ceiling a little bit and that's that's what it is and what he is um i just i i i still come out of this like the next time this happens and your offense just can't get things going then and you happens against a team with a better offense they're going to put up more points than maryland did they're not going to make the same mistakes they're going to have better players it's going to put Ohio State in an even bigger hole than just being down 10 to nothing. That's, I think, where the concern is, that if the offensive stuff keeps lingering, that it's going to, at some point, create a hole too big for them to make one of these rallies out of. So let's let's go into a make-believe world real quick, because Ooh, this game is su- it's such a tale of the two halves. And it's inspired by a texture. Son of a text, 615-4-350-3315. From the 336, what is the difference between going up by three possessions in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter in the grand scheme of things? Going up big in the second quarter is the expectation. When they go up big in the fourth quarter, there's usually some level of panic. Just based off the texter's question, if we flip this game, if everything that happens in the second half happens in the first half and everything that happens in the first half happens in the second half, does that all change how we're talking about this? Because that's what we're – it's one so, half say, they were wait, not good. I don't even know. Whole, I don't understand the premise of that. Yeah, say that whole thing so is You're that, saying like if they start fast and, and finish sloppily? Yeah. Yes. But they didn't. And I, I think that's just a flawed way of looking at this because yeah. this is so. This is they've had three games against Power Five opponents. In those mm-hmm. three games, they've scored in the first quarter. They've scored one touchdown. That was in the first game against Indiana. They have ten first mm-hmm. downs, and six of them came against Indiana. They are averaging uh, something like three point one yards per play in the first quarter of games. Like it's just it's it's bad. It's they've been a bad offense to come out of these games they to have. start. And it's I it's it's a little disingenuous to say, well, but if you just flipped it and they were a bad offense in the fourth quarter of a game, they were already mm-hmm. leading by a lot. But they, that's not what's happening. That's mm-hmm. it's it, it's a, it's almost a useless exercise to me, because when you don't when you let a team like Maryland hang around. As I said before, that's what opens the door, like the longer that you go without kind of putting your foot on their throat, the more chance that there is that something goes wrong. and you lose the game somehow. This happened, you know, the longer that Ohio State went against Oregon in 2021 and couldn't figure out how to stop them from getting around the edge and getting those gains, not only was it putting points on the board, but it just, Oregon gets to change the way it plays. It gets to play mm-hmm. a different style of football than when you're from behind. I've said it so many times that the Ohio State's offense has been a terrible burden for opposing Defenses, yes, but also opposing offenses because it makes you have to play perfect. And I that's the element that's missing right now is the intimidation factor of this Ohio State offense. Ohio State in 2021, because we're we've been doing this a lot today for whatever reason, like stretching all the way back to 2021. But I think it's important because it, it it's it about matters. The, it's about the projection of this program. 2021, Ohio State led the nation in yards per play, 7.96. That's like that's really smoking. But that team couldn't mm-hmm. make the playoff because its defense wasn't good enough. And it, because it also had some let, a big letdown against Michigan late in that season uh, on the offensive side of the ball, too. Uh, last season, they also led the nation in offense uh, yards per play, 7.28 yards per play. Still pretty good, not that crazy 
7.96 from year before. And that was that was pushed up by the Utah game, but they were going to lead the nation, I think, in, in yards per play anyway. Right now, they're at 6.91. This took them down under 7 per play with this performance today. It's just starting to, mm-hmm. the offense is starting to just look a lot more like ordinary good than crazy good. And when you pride, when you build your team around, we're going to go get five-star quarterbacks, we're going to take all of the five-star receivers every year, even if we have nowhere to put them, um, then that has to be, you have to be out putting up points because you've recruited a team that, that leans offense. And it's a, it's a weird way to be talking about this team five games in because there's every indication. I mean, all that talent is there. There's every indication that if they could just provide the structure for this offense, that those points can be there. But as it stands right now, that structure doesn't exist. And those points, yes, they caught up today. They definitely caught up today. Uh, but I, I don't come out of this game with a lot of confidence that if the same thing played out against certainly Penn State and yeah. certainly uh, Michigan and maybe even on the road at Wisconsin, if they can dig out of that hole the same way. And that's the issue. And yeah, that's the answer to that question the texter asked. It's the fact that the you went to flip the switch on the day and it comes on because you're more talented than Maryland. So eventually the talent was going to shine. Eventually it was going to break through. What if it doesn't break through when you play a team of like-minded talent? Or what if it does break through, but because the team you're playing is now on the same level as you, it's too whole of a deep of a hole to get out. That's the difference between why you can't really play that game of like, what if you just flip the halves? Because you can't do that against Penn State. You can't do that against Michigan in those games. That was us being positive. We're going to take a break right here. And then when we come back, we're actually going to be negative because well, I don't know if it's negative. It's just true. This, this team's got some issues and we've got to point them out because Maryland exposed them as well. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. We tried to be positive for 30 minutes. I don't think it worked. <laughs> it worked about as well as the run game worked for Ohio State Josh today. Proctor. Josh Proctor played really well today. And JT to him a little out. We need to we need to talk about the positives of the defense. So let's 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 enumerate yeah. those guys. I mean JT Tumaloa got his Thank first you. sack, but but more importantly was a presence in the backfield and, and Josh Proctor with the pick six and some other big hits. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's kind of playing like a dude. I don't know what to tell you guys. I, I'm not uh, we'll take the L for maybe being uh too early on him, but it seems like he's kind of coming into his own. Imagine how good he'll be in like year mm-hmm. nine. <laughs> mm. <laughs> when he petitions for more eligibility. No, I'm just kidding. But he's he's playing very, very well right now. I thought, yes, you mentioned JT Tony Malo. I thought him and Josh Proctor played well. I thought Lathan Ransom played well. He ended up with an interception today. I thought Sonny Styles. The coverage is a work in progress, but he's 18. Remember, he's supposed to be a freshman in college right now. But I thought he came up with a big third down stop at one point. Linebackers is still kind of iffy, but Tommy Eichenberg especially has, he spent a year proven enough that you can, you can have some faith that that's going to get figured out. I thought Steel Chambers was iffy as well, but also Cody Simon, another, I think, quality game. So there's some reprieve there as well. You mentioned Denzel Burke. I thought Davidson Igbenosin and Jordan Hancock had quality days as well. Caden uh, Curry flashed a little bit. They're just not playing those guys as much. But and on the interior, once things got going, you started to see Mike Hall make a presence for himself. And I think Talik Williams continues to play at a high level. <sighs> okay, let's be negative. Well, no, one more positive thing. Uh, well, yeah, Marvin Harrison Jr. was awesome today. They kind of force fed him. Go ahead, Andrew. I was gonna, I was gonna say, shout out Cade Stover. Um, 
Nice little touchdown. I like if we're just gonna start throwing pot shots around. I thought Cade Stover had a nice little touchdown and a well timed touchdown too. Because uh, like what, I think that that drive that was second and thirty three, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. second and thirty three. Uh, I don't think I've ever. I've been watching. I'm 27 years old. I've been. I think I've been watching football for 22 of those years, fairly consistently. I don't think I've ever seen a pass play go for negative 18 yards, like a completed pass go for negative 18 yards. And Kyle McCord flipped it off the trip train him who caught it and immediately fell down for minus 18 yards. So that it looks like a disaster. And then Kyle McCord has a really nice throw to Marv. Um, and then Brian day gets the, uh, the sideline warning penalty because they got the sideline warning originally with no penalty on the Josh Proctor pick six, Ryan day gets the 15 yard penalty, knocks him back. And I believe it was the next play kid Stover scores a touchdown. So that was just a really like, especially for the moment in time, that was just a really, really well-timed touchdown for Ohio state. They were, they were only up three at that point. It put them up by two scores. They didn't give up two scores the rest of the way. Like that's a drive where, Second and 33, you're starting to think to yourself, well, Maryland might get the ball back down a score. Again, I was admit, you know, I, I was definitely capital N, capital W, not worried about Ohio State losing that game. But Maryland could have had the ball back reasonably, very reasonably, likely with, you know, with, with the ball, you're down one score, field goal ties it, touchdown gives you the lead, and they come out of that. So that, that was a really good sequence, and I, you know, I thought Cade Stover – um, you know, I, he only had two catches today. Um, and that happens when your quarterback targets, you know, your number one receiver 15 out of 29 times. But, um, I thought he played, uh, I thought he played really well. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought, I thought he deserved a little bit of shine because again, they won the game by 20 points. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get too negative too quickly, but you know, there, there were positives today. I think I that's over his first touchdown too. It is. It was his first touchdown of the season. Yep. It was Stover's first touchdown. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I have zero problems with Marvin Harrison getting half of the targets. He's the best wide receiver in the country. Yep. Zero yep. problem at all with him getting half of the targets. And you know, but that's I mean, its own in a, thing. In a vacuum, him getting fifteen and twenty-nine targets is fine. You can certainly, over the course of a game, yes. um, start looking back. And Kyle McCord, I think, was sort of asked about this after the game about are you, did you feel like you got a little bit of tunnel vision at all? And he said, no, mm-hmm. that that's the way that Maryland played it. It was not the way that Notre Dame played it. They weren't bracketing him the same way. And the way that, mm-hmm. you know, he was getting the one-on-one chances and he's going to keep taking the one-on-one chances. So like that up to an extent I can support. I think there were definitely times where it looked to us like he locked in a little bit, but, um, mm-hmm. Honestly, there's a lot of teams on the schedule where you can lock in on Marvin Harrison and it probably isn't going to cost you. But again, learning experience for those weeks that it might. So let's be negative. Er. First and foremost, I thought the second and 33 completion to Marvin Harrison Jr. My headline at the end of the game had the words, Ohio State has lost its superpower. That thir- second and thirty third, second and thirty three completion to Marvin Ju- Harrison Jr. That's their superpower, and it's been their superpower since Marvin H- since Ryan Day showed up here. The pass second attack. and thirty three was to Stover. That was to Stover. 
No, what, what, so what second, was the, and 33, what, second and 33 was to Marv, and then the play right after yeah. was the Stover touchdown. Yeah, that's oh, okay, the, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. okay. Whew, Sorry. For a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but that's their superpower, is that everything is going wrong, and then the passing game fixes all. That has been the problem. But the problem is the passing game, the superpower had to be on every single play. Because if it wasn't, you get the Oregon game. You get the Michigan game twice whenever that doesn't happen. But that's supposed to be their superpower. Right now, that superpower is not showing up enough. And we haven't rewatched this game, obviously, so we have, we're not going to be able to really deep dive into that. But just fresh off watching the game live, Nathan, so much of that is rooted in the offensive line struggles, not just showing up in third and two anymore. They're showing up in other aspects that it feels like Brian Day has tried to dial up some stuff, but they just can't execute it because they can't get the proper pass pro to be able to do it. Yeah, I was talking to someone before the game about, oh, actually it was during the game. I think it was a halftime. And about how this offense... This offensive line, you think that every game gives them a chance to improve, and I guess it does. Every week is a chance for them to make some sort of gradual improvement. Um, the problem is it's also another week of film for another team to scrutinize and come up with a plan of attack for. And I think you're seeing that because Ryan Day complimented Maryland's front after the game. I'm sure they've got some decent guys, but this is the problem, I guess, that it's 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 still it's a talent equated offensive line, no matter who they're playing, especially when you're talking about other power five. Yes. You talk, start talking about other Big Ten teams and this offensive line. Since I've been here since 2019, you've never been able to say that. Like there have obviously been some other good defensive fronts. And like I alluded to earlier, Michigan 2021, Aiden Hutchinson, like they they won that matchup. But that's what it usually took. It would usually take, oh, this guy could be the best player in the next NFL draft or whatever. Like, he's he's going to beat you that day. That's what it's supposed to take. It's not supposed to take Maryland's dudes beating you up front head-to-head. So I asked Ryan Day after the game, you know, they, they came out of the bye week, the off week, whatever you want to call it. You know, what sort of self-evaluation did you do as far as personnel in that game? And... You know, he had just he just got done saying something like, oh, I like how this team doesn't panic. And it's not panicking in game, but I'm like, what's the level of concern overall that this is going to be the thing that takes his team down? If you don't, this may be too big of a question to be asking right after a game. And he basically said, oh, ask me on Tuesday. And so maybe I will get a better answer. But, you know, his his standard response and all these things is you got to look at personnel, you got to look at scheme, you got to look at how the scheme is being coached, how all that's being coached. And I just, I think every week that goes by, you start to think more and more that the coaching and the scheme maybe just can't elevate what they have in personnel enough. And I don't know if reaching down to the bench and bringing up a Tegra Shabola or a Zen Mahalski or a Luke Montgomery is enough. especially if it's at just one position, if you're just making one change, um, it might help, but is it going to be enough to really solve the problem? Or is it just mistakes that one guy makes get traded for mistakes that another inexperienced younger guy makes? And this may just be the thing that they have to find a way to overcome all year. So then that to me puts it back on day. 
Like, not only did he oversee what got them to this offensive line situation in the first place, but like he has definitely kept this to himself. Like he he wants to be the play caller. He wants to still be heavily involved in the quarterback room. And defense is getting it done without him having to oversee that. Defense is getting it done with the head coach of the defense. So where can Ryan Day go? Where can he make innovations? Where can he make better strategic choices to compensate for a problem that might just not ever get much better as as you get as the season goes along? Because no matter how much better they get between now and Penn State, the team that they're playing is that much better. And no matter how much better you get from there to Michigan, same thing probably is going to run affect you. So what what is he doing? that solves this problem independent of what the offensive line is actually doing. So how does this impact their ceiling though? Because we saw the innate problem that an Ohio state football team has. And then you start wondering, okay, this can't get fixed, but is there anybody on the schedule who can actually exploit it in 2017? It's the quarterback play. And you think you figured it out and Penn state game happens and JT Barrett has the best game of his life. And then, the very next week he goes in Iowa with those pick six on the opening play opening series. And it's just downhill from there. The very next year, the defensive issues, they showed up in week one, but it wasn't really until Purdue where it cost them on the scoreboard. And then Rondell Moore happens and Ron, you know, Rondell Moore has been building up to that moment all season, but Ron, a star is born in West Lafayette, which they now have to go back into West Lafayette next week, which is pretty ironic in this situation. 2020, 2019, no inerrant flaws. It's just Clemson was better that day mixed with whatever else you want to throw in there. But Clemson won the game. But that was a good team, a, a complete team who just lost to another complete team. 2020, the defense started to show some cracks, but it's also COVID year. So whatever, you chalk that up to a lot of different things. 2021, defensive issues shows up, bites you in the butt week one, and then it bites you in the butt again at the end of the season. The I don't, the offensive line wasn't really a problem, as you mentioned. This Aiden Hutchinson's really good. And the Detroit Lions are benefiting from Aiden Hutchinson being really good right now. Last year, it was the cornerback situation. It was the defensive backs as a whole, really, after a while. The safety started out well, but they gradually kind of fell off as well. And then you get to the Michigan game, and it costs you. It gets you to Georgia, and it costs you. It's very clear at this point the innate issue with this Ohio State football team is the offensive line. But is the problem that you don't have to wait until a certain opponent exploits you, as you're saying, Nathan, because it's talent equated every week you play a power five football team just because of what the personnel is on the offensive line? Yeah, I think that's the answer. Like, I don't I don't know what they do at this point to to shake things up completely. I think it's going to have to be whatever they do with personnel, it's going to roughly be in that same range. And I think there's real concern about what happens if they were to as 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 um, inconsistent as the offensive line play has been, if you lose somebody off this offensive line, are you're in real trouble, right? Off this starting group. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I think it's got to be. They've got to come up with some the the status quo of how they approach offense probably isn't going to work. I don't know if that means doing more RPO stuff. You know, Day was talking a lot after this game about how, well, you know, they're stacking the box to try to stop the run. I'm like, why? Like, why? I don't, is that really, I, I, I'm looking forward to the rewatch to see if I really think that that I, was, yeah. they averaged 3.3 the, 3 yards the, per carry today. And this it, is, that definitely, this is, they took their shots. They were able to get some shots downfield after that. 
I know that that probably did contribute to some of the stuff that the Ohio State could get over the top after that. So I'm I'm eager to rewatch this in more detail. Maybe he is right, but that also seems like not the way to beat Ohio State is to is to really stack the box and just hope for the best against the best receivers in the country. So I don't think that again, that may be true, but it's not like they are running the ball great um, outside of a couple of the ones that Trevin Henderson has run. It just hasn't been that consistent. And today, uh, Tranum and, and Maya Williams, it was, it was something like 3.3 yards of carry for the game. And that's, you can get by plotting like that in, in the NFL. In some cases, that's not what you're supposed to be putting up as an Ohio state offense. Like it's supposed to be this, this offense has thrived on balance for a long time. As much as we talk about the quarterbacks and receivers, uh, they, they have the underlying running game that sets the stage for that. And I think absence more production from the running game, it's going to make this team seem more one dimensional. And then even if you have the advantage back there, it just makes it easier to defend. We'll see in the rewatch, but I'm pretty sure Maryland spent a lot of the first half dropping eight. And then for some reason, it was working because they still couldn't run the ball. And then for some reason, they started stacking the box in the second half, which is what opened up some of the explosiveness for Ohio State's passing game, which we'll see for sure in the rewatch. But I do think Maryland played one complete defensive scheme in the first half and then switched up in the second half. And that kind of opened some things up in the passing game. But the run game was just terrible the all all game. So you maybe didn't notice it as much. And uh, some of that might have been the win, too. Maybe they thought they could stack. Yeah. Stack the box and make him throw, make McCord throw in the wind. I don't know if that was part of it. So, Andrew, how is this impacting what you think the ceiling for this offense can be? Um, it depends. And it depends on what their adjustments are moving forward. So, if the offensive line is what it is and Ohio State's going to keep kind of doing what it's doing, uh, this is a, this is a, you don't want to sound too over the top with it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like this is a season potentially ruining unit. If like this is this is how you get into trouble if you can't run the ball. And, you know, I, I, I know we we were talking a little bit in, in the press box. You know, I, I kind of made them I kind of made the point that, you know, I thought that Kyle McCord was throwing to his first read. And he was locking on, you know, there was a play to the, to the sideline where they had a, a, a receiver clear out deep and Marv ran like a deep corner and, or a deep out route, or I, I would have to go back and look, but Kyle looked at Marv and did not take his eyes off him the entire time. And as soon as he broke, he threw the ball. So I'm curious about what happens there. Like, is that a situation where Kyle McCord is kind of kind of understands that the offensive line might not be able to hold up for as long as you would like. And he's getting rid of the ball quickly. I don't know. There's, there's, there's issues with the offensive line um, that lower the ceiling of this team. If you don't figure it out. But I thought about this at halftime after we had a conversation Um, uh, every comic book is somebody's first. Um, So I covered the Bengals last year. Uh, if you didn't know, and in week four, they dropped or they, uh, excuse me in week five, they fell to two and three, and then they go to new Orleans in week six. So they're five games into the season 
And defenses in the NFL were terrified of Jamar Chase. They were terrified of T. Higgins. And they were terrified of Joe Burrow. So what did they do? Ran two deep safety. And they took the top off. And they said, you will not beat us deep. You are going to have to find another way to beat us. And the Bengals in a game against the Saints. I know we have Bengals fans listening. So I know that they know what I'm talking about. In a game against the Saints, they completely changed it up. And they ran a heck of a lot more tempo. They ran a heck of a lot more RPOs and everything was snap. Everything was snappy. Everything was quick. A lot of slants, a lot of quick outs, a lot of in routes, a lot of dump offs to Joe Mixon. There was a lot of quick game and that's how they moved the ball down the field. And when the shots presented themselves, they took them. So part of me thought about that today where I was watching. I, I had that same kind of vibe because think about it. The Bengals had kind of the same issue. The offensive line wasn't really playing that well. You know, they couldn't get the explosive plays like they really wanted to. You know, there were some issues there. And what happened? They figured it out. Now, I'm not saying that Ohio State is going to figure it out because, you know, Zach Taylor figured it out. But that was the comparison that I thought of because I'm watching this offense that you can't really run the ball. And or run the ball as effectively as you'd like. I mean, Chip Trainum had 3.1 yards a carry on 20 uh, on 20 carries today. We mentioned Maryland's schedule. I mean, Maryland allowed 4.4.1 uh, and four yards a carry to Towson's leading rusher. 4.2 yards a carry to Charlotte's leading rusher. 4.1 yards a carry to Virginia's leading rusher. Uh, 5.1 yards a carry to Michigan State's leading rusher and 4.1 yards of carry to Indiana's leading rusher, and Ohio State couldn't manage more than 3.1 yards of carry for their leading running back. So that's a problem. Just by the teams that I said, that's a problem. So you have to find a way to fix that, and I think what you can do is if you lighten up the box a little bit, you can find a workaround. You know, it's not just, all right, well, the offensive line, you know, you have to figure something out with personnel, or you have to switch some guys around. Like, I I think that there... I'm going to go back to what I said the other podcast. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think this is the second podcast in a week I've said this. So there's more than one way to skin a cat. And that doesn't mean there's more than one way to bake a cake, however you want to say it. There's more than one way to figure out a solution to this problem. And I think the first thing that I'd be doing if I was Ohio State is how can we get the ball out of Kyle McCord's hands as quickly as possible? How can we get the ball into our playmakers' hands as quickly as possible and make these guys in the front seven take a beat because they're going to take a step and the ball's gone? So there's a couple different ways to get rid of the ball, and I think that that could kind of loosen everything up. But in terms of what they're doing right now, the offensive line's a problem, and I think it significantly lowers the ceiling of this team because what's going to happen when you play I mean, maybe you play a, I know they just lost today, but like a Texas type team or an Oklahoma type team or an Alabama type team or a Georgia type team or a whoever type team in the playoff. If you get there, what's going to happen to your offensive line then, let alone in the Penn State or Michigan game. So as you're going right now, it's a problem, but I think there are workarounds to figure this out. And I'm curious what those are going to be. Okay. Let's wrap up all this negativity in a optimistic or pessimistic i don't know bo because it's they won by 20 points and it's just you don't leave today feeling good i don't know if you feel feel bad but you don't feel good either nathan you predicted ohio state to win the national championship 
I want you to go back in a time machine after five weeks and go tell go. And I'm, I'm telling you to go talk to yourself when you wrote down that prediction. Are you looking at yourself like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, or are you, you know, where, where how good do you feel? Basically, basically, I'm asking you, how good do you still feel about those chances of that prediction coming through tr- through true five weeks into the season? I was actually having this conversation with myself today at like halftime hey. and thinking I don't know if I even like this team to make the playoff anymore. Um, but here's what's interesting. Yes, uh, let's talk about predictions. There was another prediction I made just this week. We don't have to talk about that prediction. Though. <laughs> but it was for Ohio State to win this game 38-17 to and they won this game 37-17 and yet here I am talking about all this this negativity and i think part of it is that there's uh, scores are not created equal like you can win a game by a, a score and then win a game by the same score and they don't feel the same to you because of the way that you get there and watching that offense fire so many blanks early on i think it just kind of goes back to that question that you mentioned from the texter and and why it's important it's because 10 nothing is a hole but it's not a crater and this mm-hmm. offense could easily dig a crater at some point like it was 10 to 10 at halftime but if Talia Tagovailoa doesn't throw a pick six and if he just throws the ball away on that other drive right before halftime now it's 13 to 3 Maryland going into the second half that's a problem that's like a bigger issue all of a sudden and a better team is going to better take advantage of this Ohio State offensive problem the offensive line the the lack of the production in the run game like somebody's going to capitalize on that better so at the same time it's a fixable problem and all of those other weapons are still there so I feel very caught in limbo I think right now um I know the way I predicted it before the season was that they would lose once along the way, still mm-hmm. beat Michigan, still win the Big Ten, still get to go to the playoff. And this playoff field, when you look at it, is so wide open. I don't know that I would look at them against anybody and think, well, they have no chance to win that game, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just is as much as we have talked with negativity, maybe this is the best way to wrap it up. Because as much as we have talked about them with negativity, I don't look at any team in the country right now that Ohio State couldn't be on the same field as because of where this defense is going to probably put them and say, well, they've got no chance to win that game. So I think it's a matter of just getting there. But I think there's enough potential problems, self-inflicted problems right now, that it's the, the confidence that they will get there starts to dwindle a little bit because you just you see how this performance projected onto a different opponent ends up with a different result. I want to see how Day and this coaching staff responds to a problem that's not fixable at this point offensively. Because even – because you can't avoid this one the same way they could avoid, like, the run game stuff once you've gotten onto the field with Georgia. But, you know, you you can't really avoid – because this is your protection – 
You can't do anything. All this skill is great, but if you can't protect, it doesn't matter. Last year, Paris Johnson didn't have a problem protecting. He No, he got beat by Michael Williams on a play, but that's because Michael Williams is also a five-star recruit who might be a first-rounder one day. That's just two dude, NFL dudes going at it. That is what it is. But there are, at no point last year did Paris Johnson have a game where you were like, ugh, well... <laughs> Good luck when you get on the big stage. Even with Dewan Jones, I mean, he got beat by Aiden Hutchinson. That was really the only guy who really cooked him at all during his career here. All his other issues were, you know, he'd have some snap infractions every – well, not snap infractions, false starts because you can't get a snap infraction if you're not the guy snapping the ball, but just false starts every so often. How does Ryan Day adjust the game plan? How does he adjust the play calling? What plays do they pull out of that big old playbook going forward instead of stuff that maybe you were able to do with C.J. Stroud and you were able to do with Justin Fields? And not because Kyle McCord can't run that stuff, but because he doesn't have the necessary protection to be able to put stuff in place for him to run that stuff and actually execute it. So do we see more of what Andrew was talking about where they just get the ball out of his hands quickly? Because I think Marvin Harrison Jr., he talked about all offseason. He wanted to improve his yards after the catch. I think he's shown some stuff this year that he's able to do some stuff after the catch. Ameke Abuka was one of the nation's leaders last year in yards after the catch per catch. You got to find a way to get Julian Fleming involved, of course, but Cade Stover, even after the catch a little bit, has been pretty good. So how does Day adapt to this is a personnel issue that's not going to change, which means the scheme and the coaching need to be better to make up for that. How does that happen? If that starts happening, then I said they would go 14 and one. I thought said they would make the playoff. At the, I said they'd be undefeated going into the national championship game. I still think that's on the table, but the coaching and the scheme have to make up for the fact that the personnel and the offensive line is not doing it. Isn't it's not up to par because the other parts around it can still be up to par despite of that. If they change those things, Andrew, I asked Nathan, I asked myself, I'm going to ask you as well. Are you still confident with what your preseason prediction was? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I I'm confident. I, I am just as confident in it as I am or as I was at the beginning of the season. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, um, we've clearly identified what the issue is. It's, you know, there's, there's a clear problem on the offense and there's a clear thing that needs to be fixed on the offense. And we all know what it is and we've all talked about it and we've all beaten it over the head. And I just think that there's a way to get around this, right? Like, I think we can have a different conversation in two or three weeks if they're still not finding a way to get around it. But I, I, I would just assume that over the next month or so that they'll kind of recognize what's going on and they'll understand how they need to fix it. So I maybe that's too optimistic. Maybe I'm looking at this from a, ah, they'll figure it out. They're good enough. Maybe that's kind of the way that maybe I shouldn't be doing that. I don't know. But that's the way that I feel right now that, you know, the issue is kind of is kind of glaring. And I think that you can you can find a way to figure that out. But additionally, the, if if you think that we spend too much time of this podcast kind of being negative after a twenty point win or you know whatever what have you, there are a lot of really good football teams in college football this year. There are a lot of really good teams, and Washington State picked up their first loss today. Texas lost to Oklahoma. Notre Dame almost lost to Duke last week. You know, we're recording this after the game, obviously. So, you know, Notre Dame's kicking off against Louisville, and they're only a touchdown favorite or whatever that is. Alabama 
kind of escaped by A&M today. Like, there are teams that, you know, Missouri picked up their first loss. Like, there are teams that you look at in college football that also have problems, right? Like, you know, Ohio State has its problems, but that doesn't mean that its problems are either as big or as glaring as a as a problem that you could point to with like Washington or USC. Like it like all right, what's a bigger problem? USC's defense or Ohio State's offensive line? I think it's very clearly USC's defense because it's an entire side of the ball. Like that's what we're talking about here. So Yeah, Ohio State has its problems. Yeah, Ohio State has its things it needs to work out. And, you know, I get being nervous about that. We're almost halfway through the regular season. I get having concerns about that. But there are other teams in college football that have problems too. And there are other teams in college football that looked really good at the start of the year, and now they've lost. Like, I mean, Ohio State's still undefeated. You know, Ohio State had a very losable game against, against Notre Dame, and they won. And Ohio State... I, I, we all know my feelings on it. I said it very clearly. Maybe you thought Ohio State had a shot of losing today. And if you believe that, they won by 20 points. So I feel confident in my pick that they're going to make the national championship again because I think that they have enough offensive talent to figure it out. And just pull up the ESPN app on your phone, sort it by top 25, and look at some of the teams that are playing. And if you can find me a team that does not have a glaring weakness or a thing that you can exploit, please point them out to me and I'd love to hear. I think the defense has been a slight better than I thought they were going to be. I think some dudes have really emerged and we've been talking just to bring up 2021 all over again. A lot of these guys have been playing football for three years, playing meaningful snaps. And so the fact that these guys that's paying off at this point is a good thing for Ohio State. I still think if you came into the season saying, hey, the defense has been really good and we're still waiting on the offense to take off, most of us would have been like, oh, that's probably a good thing because eventually the offense is going to pick up, right? But every as the weeks go on and on and on, that right goes from just like right to right to right, right? And then you start panicking a little bit. I don't think we're at panic. I think it's probably fair to say at a scale from one to 10, the offense as a whole, I said eight and a half in the video, but that's all about offensive line. I think as a whole totality, you guys are probably right. Being in like the six or seven range is probably the right place to be. But this could ease, I don't want to say easily at this point because we're five games into this. We're almost halfway through the regular season. But seeing adapt adaptation from the coaching staff and how you want to deploy this offense can probably put minds at ease that this offense can still be elite. It just might have to do it in a different way. And it also can do that which comes back to the original point I made, they can do that without having to be all world at all times because the other unit on the other side of the ball has played so much better. I said we were going to get into special teams, and I actually just want to look at that stuff again because I thought the special teams was not very good. The bad snap, the holding penalty they had on a uh, fair catch, it was it was just all over the place. But that I feel like that discussion needs to be a little bit longer, and we're already over an hour on this post-game pod. So Nathan and I will be back on the Monday pod. We'll, we'll do a rewatch. We'll, we'll be looking over a lot of things in this game, whether it's offensive line, some of the dif- defensive play, maybe even some special team stuff. And then on Tuesday, Andrew and I will come back with the recruiting pod, and then we'll be talking with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles on Tuesday to get ready to, for them to play Purdue next weekend on the road. So for Nathan Barrett and for Andrew Gillis, I'm a positive, <laughs> positive in quotes.
Stephen Means. <laughs> and that was Buckeye Talk.